At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. You are listening to Veggie Doctor Radio, and this is episode number 126. Welcome to Veggie Doctor Radio. I am your host, Dr. Yami, board-certified pediatrician, certified lifestyle medicine physician, certified health and wellness coach, author, speaker, mother, wife, and human being. I passionately believe in the power of diet, habits, and mindset in sparking and sustaining well-being and joy in our lives. This podcast combines expert interviews and thoughtful monologues to explore plant-based nutrition, lifestyle medicine, parenting, mindset, and other exciting and fun topics. I hope that these episodes inspire you, uplift you, and equip you with the knowledge and tools to live your best life. Are you ready to get started? Let's do it. I wish more people knew that they have all that they need within them to feel better. Uh, they just, they just don't realize it. Um, uh, and that doesn't mean, you know, that they shouldn't be taking any medications or that they shouldn't be eating in a certain way, but just sort of, I think a lot of people really try to outsource not just their health, but other aspects of their well-being, either to other people um, or to celebrities or even to a spouse, you know. Welcome back, veggie lovers, to the third episode in our Nutrients of Concern series, or at least the third interview with Dr. Gemma Newman. In this episode, we talk about a lot of the different nutrients. We talk about B12, iron, zinc, selenium, omega-3s, and all kinds of stuff. So in the first episode, we covered vitamin D. The second episode, we covered calcium and bone health specifically. And in this episode, we're going to talk about pretty much all the rest. So I hope that you will enjoy it and that it answers a lot of the questions you have about eating a plant-based diet and what nutrients you may need to supplement and which of them are more important for you and your situation. But before I talk to you more about Dr. Gemma Newman and how awesome she is, I want to remind you that I have lots of wonderful freebies at dryami.com forward slash free. That's D-O-C-T-O-R-Y-A-M-I.com forward slash free. You can find guides to replacing meat, replacing dairy, breakfast, lunch, eating out guides, shopping lists, all kinds of things to get you started on a plant-based lifestyle and also give you ideas if you feel like you've been in a rut or you feel like you're missing your omelets or all of those kinds of things. Just go look and find those free resources. You can download one. You can download them all. And thank you so much for your support. Also, I want to let you know that I've been getting lots of wonderful feedback about my book, A Parent's Guide to Intuitive Eating, How to Raise Kids Who Love to Eat Healthy, particularly a lot from healthcare professionals, pediatricians, nurse practitioners, PAs, people all over the country that have been reading my book, recommending it to their patients and family members. And I am so honored. I'm so grateful. Thank you so much. This book isn't Really, the main theme of the book isn't plant-based nutrition. The main theme of the book is how to eat and how to feed your children and your family. It's about respecting and honoring hunger and satiety, but also respecting body size differences that your child may be smaller than average. They may be larger than, than typical, but how do you navigate that in today's world? How do you navigate trying to eat whole foods, trying to eat healthy, while also you're, try, 
your child attending birthday parties and events and all of all kinds of things like that. So if you're interested about that, if you want to know more about how to feed your family, not just what to feed your family, check out my book, A Parent's Guide to Intuitive Eating, How to Raise Kids Who Love to Eat Healthy. I would really appreciate if you do leave me an Amazon review. That would be so fantastic. Remember that the information on this podcast is for informational and educational purposes only. It is not meant to replace careful evaluation and treatment. So if you have concerns about you or your child's eating, nutrition, or growth, please consult your healthcare professional. Okay, and before I introduce Dr. Gemma, I also want to give you a little disclaimer. There have been a couple of episodes and intros that I had to record inside my house while there was major construction going on. So you may hear a little bit of that in this episode. I apologize. During all of her speaking time, there shouldn't be any because I muted myself, but I am so excited about my new kitchen that's evolving and I will be showing you very soon on social media if you follow me on Instagram or Facebook. So I cannot wait to cook in my new kitchen and also develop new recipes and share them with you all. So please excuse a little bit of the construction noise and thank you so much for continuing to listen to Veggie Doctor Radio. You mean so much to me. Your loyal listening means so much to me. So Dr. Gemma Newman, oh my gosh, she is so amazing. So she is from the UK and she has worked in medicine for 16 years and is the senior partner at a family medical practice where she has worked for 10 years. She studied at the University of Wales College of Medicine and has worked in many specialties as a doctor, including elderly care, endocrinology, pediatrics, obstetrics and gynecology, psychiatry, general surgery, urology, vascular surgery, rehabilitation, medicine and general practice. She has a specialist interest in holistic health, plant-based nutrition, and lifestyle medicine. And in her practice, she has come to understand that body, mind, and soul are not separate and that it is only in addressing the root causes of stress and disconnection that we can truly heal from the inside out. She is an advisory board member of the Plant-Based Health Professionals UK and has contributed content on the topic of diabetes for the Winchester University Plant-Based Nutrition course. She has also created content on the topic of mental health and nutrition for the Diploma of Culinary Medicine by the Medicinal Chef. So obviously, she is very talented. She is very passionate. She has so much to give and so much to share. So I know that you're going to love this episode that is packed with helpful information about supplements and nutrients, what you need to worry about, what you don't. So I hope that you really enjoy this episode. And also please get signed up to Dr. Gemma Newman's newsletter because she will have a book coming out by the end of the year. She is, you can find her on Instagram at plantpowereddoctor, at plantpowereddoctor, and her website is gemmanewman.com. That's G-E-M-M-A-N-E-W-M-A-N.com. Okay, I've kept you waiting long enough, so let's get to that episode. Dr. Gemma Newman, this is such an honor and a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining me on Veggie Doctor Radio today. It's my absolute joy and pleasure to join you as well. I was honored to be invited. Awesome. Well, this month we are talking about nutrients of concern on the podcast. Already had an interview about vitamin D and calcium and bone health. So now you get to help me cover all the rest. Well, <laughs> so thank you so much. <laughs> this should be exciting. But before we get into nutrients and vitamins and supplements and all that, I want to know about your plant-based journey. Tell me how you got here. Well, it's a very long story, but if I keep it entertaining, basically, I've always been interested in healing and helping people, as most doctors do. Um, and when I went to med school, I didn't really look after myself. I was doing lots of late nights and night shifts and weekends, and um, I gained quite a lot of weight and I, I felt sluggish. And 
you know, when it got to finishing my, well, is it residency in the US, but basically my my junior doctor jobs, uh, and then moving on to my family physician role. So I did a few years of training before I went into family medicine. I realized that I needed to do something to sort of help my own health. You know, um, I thought I can't be telling people how to live a healthier life if I'm not doing, you know, walking the talk. So I started to look into ways of eating more healthily, ways of moving my body. And that's where my passion sort of begun. Um, And then my husband ran the London Marathon and he was getting a lot of inflammation and injury. And he did some um, looking into what he thought to himself, well, how is it that some people can run you know, hundreds of kilometers and not get inflamed and swollen like me. What are they doing differently? So he started to look at the habits of elite runners and he discovered Rich Roll and his book, Finding Ultra. And he discovered Brendan Brazier's work um, with his book, Thrive. Um, and uh, I think Scott Jurex, Born to Run. And he was sharing all this with me. And he said, you know, what? I'm going to try this. I'm going to go plant-based. And I'd not really ever heard of it before. And I thought, oh, that sounds a bit strange. Cutting out all these things from your diet. How can that be healthy? Um, But I read the books and then I decided to delve into the data and go on a lot of PubMed searches and start looking into some of the science myself. And I began to realize that there was quite a lot of evidence for benefit, especially in terms of athletic recovery, um, you know, being able to push your body and then um, reduce your recovery times and improve the antioxidant ratios and things like this. So I thought, oh, maybe it's maybe there's something in this. And he managed to improve his marathon running time by an hour and 10 minutes, which I thought I just could not believe. Um, and then the more I looked into it, the more I realized that there were other benefits too. Um, people were finding that, you know, their autoimmune diseases were improving, um, heart disease um um, prevention, uh, diabetes prevention and reversal and all these different things. I thought this is, you know, I've missed a trick here. Why didn't I learn about this before? And so then that, that sort of really got me started on a deep dive then. And I began to really, um, do a lot of research into all the different diseases and how they could be improved. And then, you know, the proof was in the pudding. I decided to do it myself as well. Um, and you know, I'd previously lost weight. I'd previously got healthy, but I never managed to get my cholesterol under control. And that was something that was on the back of my mind because I have a family history of heart disease, um, early onset heart disease. And my father died, um, of a quite a young age, um, of heart disease. And I thought, Oh no, you know, basically coming up to, you know, when I'm coming up to that sort of age or certainly after the menopause, that's going to be something that I really need to worry about. Um, but I just chalked it up to my fate and my genetic destiny until I tried plant-based nutrition. And then I was able to dramatically improve my lipid markers and my markers of inflammation. And this is many years later, you know, and I, you know, I, I was, I was exercising less. I'd had two children Like you would not expect my, uh, my blood, uh, blood work to be better than it was when I was younger, even though I was exercising more and had a lot more free time to look after my my health. Uh, and so that's when I really began to realize the power of it. And I've been hooked ever since. And I've been sharing it with my patients and they've had some tremendous results. Um, and it's been a real joy in my life. It's, it's really brought me a s- sort of huge amount of purpose and, and joy to see how my patients can really take charge of their health in many ways um, and use these simple lifestyle measures alongside the medications or in some cases, instead of medications, to get them on the right track. And it's, it's just a beautiful thing. Wow, that's an amazing story. And I love how it's opposite of most stories that I hear. Because it was your husband that really started the journey and he started it from an athletic perspective. He's like, how can I improve my performance? And for listeners out there that don't know, and taking an hour, well, you said an hour and 10 minutes yeah. off of your marathon time, that is like beyond belief. Like people try to get like maybe 15, 20. I mean, you know, and of course, elite, elite athletes are just trying to shave tiny bits, but an hour and 10 minutes. That is incredible. So wow, you must have been just so amazed. So once he saw those results, was he just like, yeah, I'm not going back. I'm not turning back from this change. 
yeah, basically, that's exactly what happened. He, he, he saw the results and he was like, well, this is clearly good for me. <laughs> and I couldn't argue with that. Um, and, you know, for me, it was more of an emotional transition because I hadn't really appreciated those physical benefits. And I, you know, I, I didn't have the obvious physical gain that, that I thought at the time would help me. So for me, it was more an idea of, oh, how is this going to fit in with family life? How is this going to fit in with what our children will eat? How, how, how will we fit in with our friends and so for me it was much more of the kind of social and emotional transition at that time um but then once i had sort of got to grips with the with the medical improvements that people could get that's when i was really excited by it so i really thought well you know there's some incredible opportunities here for people to change their lives and turn things around and then then i began to feel as though it was my duty to share this because you know, there are, there are other doctors like me who really care about their patients, but just haven't seen the benefits that can be found. Um, and there are patients out there who clearly have no idea either. So I thought that this is something that is so important to share, um, not just for me, not just for my family, my loved ones, but for those that I treat and for the wider public. I thought it was so important. And that's what really drives my mission. Yeah. And I like how you bring up that you had to think about the practical aspects of it, right? You're the mm. mom, you probably do a lot of the cooking, you have to feed the kids. Like, okay, how is this going to work in our lifestyle? How am I going to make this transition? You know, that's really incredible. But can you touch really quickly, because I was reading this in your story as well, that you had already lost a significant amount of weight, you know, eating a different way, <laughs> different than the plant-based way. And one of the things I, I really like to touch upon and talk about this podcast is that sometimes looks can be deceiving. We do advocate a lot for weight loss in our societies. You know, you're in the UK, but it's very similar to the US in that I think people strive for thinness and there's lots of different ways to get there. But sometimes what's what we see on the outside is not necessarily what's on the inside because you still had high cholesterol. Was your cholesterol high enough that you were needing medication for it? Or was it just kind of like one of those watch and wait sort of things? Yeah, so you're absolutely right. There are so many ways to lose weight. And there are so many ways um, that people, again, try to do things like reverse their diabetes. And for me, um, I didn't realize that my cholesterol was raised until after I'd lost um, a lot of weight, until after I decided to transition more to an active lifestyle as well. So for me, it was quite a shock to see. And it wasn't it wasn't high enough to require preventative statins because I hadn't yet had any kind of cardiac event. And I was you know, hopefully a long way from having that. I was in my um, late 20s at that time. But it was still quite a shock considering that at that time, my father hadn't yet died. And it was only my grandfather who'd had an early onset heart attack. So, you know, I, I didn't consider it to be quite such an immediate risk. But at the same time, I was concerned because it was not the usual level for somebody who was in their late 20s, who was uh, you know, a normal to low weight who was exercising regularly, who had an otherwise very healthy lifestyle, non-smoker, almost teetotal, you know, uh, very otherwise very healthy. So um, for me, it was an at that point, I, I thought to myself, well, there is no other way for me to get healthy. Therefore, I just have to accept this. Um, but it's interesting that you say that, um, you know, there are many ways to, to, to look healthy, but you're not necessarily healthy on the inside. I think for, for women, especially, but also for men, the aesthetics of a certain look uh, become so important in Western culture. And it's all about weight loss and looking good in a bikini um, or looking good, you know, with with your pecs and your and your biceps. And for men, there's a huge amount of pressure as well. But it doesn't necessarily equate to health. You know, people can have severe vitamin deficiencies or conversely, they can be suffering from extremely high cholesterol um, and then drop dead from a heart attack whilst they're on the treadmill at the gym because of the way that they've been eating. Um, so it's not just how you look on the outside. It's what you're doing to your body on the inside and also mentally as well. I think for um, especially for young girls, but you know, for anyone of any age, really, the societal expectation to look a certain way can really affect our psyche. And you know, for some people, they 
they may even take on certain dietary patterns uh, in order to mask eating disorders that they've developed because of the way that the society um, is set up to um, have women look a certain way or, or have men look a certain way. Um, and that can be really challenging, especially um, as some people do take on the idea of veganism um, with a view to masking an eating disorder, whether intentionally or not, sometimes that does happen. And that can also complicate things. So it's, I think it's really important to just remember to look after your, your mind, look after your body, look after your soul and just be aware of what your motivations are. If you're if you're if you're deciding to go on a fully plant based diet to lose weight, you have to look very carefully at what your other motivating factors are and why it's so important for you. You know whether you have a medical condition that you're trying to reverse, or whether it's you just want to look uh, you know as thin um, as possible. And there would be some sort of red flags there if if the latter was your was your only aim. Yeah. Yes, yes. I love that so much. And I'm glad that we covered that because I think it is something that we don't talk about enough. I think we stop at like, okay, how can I lose weight? And then we link the weight loss to obvious health improvements. And that's not always the case. And the other next step I want to talk about too, is just that there's people that changing their diet, they're able to change their health markers very rapidly without a significant amount of weight loss. So you don't have to wait to lose 50 or 100 pounds to start getting some benefits of changing how you eat. Because I think that's the part that feels very heavy to some people that like, oh, but I have all this weight. It's going to take so long and I'm not going to be quote healthy until I get to that end. But it doesn't have to be that way. So I just always want to point that out. Thank you for going there with me. Okay. So let's talk about vitamins. You've been, you know, living a plant-based lifestyle. You talk about it with your patients, your patients' families. Is it something that you are concerned about when a patient comes in and they say, I'm vegan or I'm plant-based, I want to change my lifestyle? Are you concerned about vitamin deficiencies from the beginning? What's going through your head? So I have to say that it's very rare for me to have a patient walking through my door telling me that they've got a whole food plant-based diet and that they have a medical problem. Uh, it, it doesn't happen as often as people who are eating a normal Western diet and have medical problems. <laughs> um, I think um, when I have seen patients on a plant-based diet that have run into issues, um, it has sometimes been because they haven't supplemented with vitamin B12. That, so that's the main nutrient of concern that hopefully um, everybody who is considering a fully plant-based diet will know to, to supplement. And we can talk a bit more about that, you know, in due course. But otherwise, um, it very much depends on the person. I'd say for the most part, if someone is having a balanced whole foods, plant-based approach to, to nutrition, then they are really getting the vast majority of the things that they require. Um, but everybody is slightly unique. It depends on your own gut microbiome. It depends on um, your uh, sort of gut permeability. It can depend on your stress levels, the amount that you're able to get to sleep. If you suffer from insomnia, if you've had post-traumatic stresses, um, if you are unable to exercise for any reason. So I think that, you know, there's a there are bio-individual differences between people, but for the most part, if someone is enjoying a varied whole foods plant-based diet, then the main nutrient of concern, and I'll say the only one that, that is a real concern would be vitamin B12. There are others that we perhaps need to be mindful of or more mindful of, um, but then that would be true also of an omnivorous diet. Um, so, so, you know, it's, it's not exclusive to one dietary pattern. Okay. Yeah. Thank you for clarifying that. So for those that are exclusively plant-based vegan B12, and we can go over that, but what are the ones that can affect a lot of different people? So what are your top nutrients of concern just when you have a patient in your office that you are wanting to ensure that they're getting those nutrients? And now a word from our sponsor. Thank you, Forager Project, for sponsoring this episode of Veggie Doctor Radio. California crafted since 2013, Forager Project is an organic, 
plant-based, family-owned and operated food company, creating innovative, delicious tasting product sourced from nature's finest ingredients, nuts, seeds, ancient grains, fruits, and vegetables. They make totally organic and 100% vegan yogurts, nut milks, sour cream, kefirs, shakes, and butter. And I've had their yogurt. It's creamy and delicious. And also what I love about it is that they don't have so many extra ingredients in there. Of course, it has the cultures, live and active cultures, and it uses simple ingredients like cashews, which are very delicious. This year, Forager Project has developed the Vote Campaign because they are committed to help cultivate democracy. So for the next month, they have special packaging that is encouraging consumers to vote. They're passionate about creating healthy, organic, plant-based food, and they are equally passionate about nurturing a healthy democracy. And they believe that voting is the most essential ingredient needed to do this. So Forager wants to inspire you to get out there and vote and participate in your democracy. They have resources and information available for you at foragerproject.com forward slash vote, or you can find them on social media at Forager Project. Cultivate democracy. Vote. Uh, apart from B12, it would definitely be vitamin D. I see an awful lot of vitamin D deficiency um, in people, whatever their dietary pattern. And um, I would say for pregnant women, especially, uh, and for women who have heavy periods, I would often be concerned about iron deficiency. I think that's something that's really important to address. Um uh, iodine deficiency is also quite common in the UK because we don't iodize our salt here. And the quality of the soil where you can get these minerals is really variable, especially with the overuse of pesticides in, in uh, conventional farming. Um, the soil quality in the topsoil is, is, is very variable. And so you're not necessarily going to get all the iodine that you need from, from the normal sources that you would have done prior to uh, the industrial revolution um, and omega threes. I think that's the other thing that I, I often um, like to ensure with my patients that they're getting enough, but it's not something that we routinely test for in the national health service in the UK. Yeah, and definitely. I want to cover that later, but let's start with iron deficiency because I think for most people, when they think of vegans and plant-based, they think we're all dying of iron deficiency. So I think that's like the, the top one. Many people get concerned if you don't eat meat, where will you get your iron from? So are people that eat a plant-based vegan diet at higher risk for iron deficiency that, than those that eat an omnivorous diet? And if not, how common is iron deficiency and what are the usual causes? Okay, so iron deficiency anemia is one of the most common um, nutrient deficiencies globally. So it's not um, exclusive to a plant-based diet. I'd say it's it's definitely, some studies suggest that people who have a restricted vegetarian or vegan diet could be more at risk of iron deficiency. Other studies tell us that if you have a, a varied plant-based diet, you are not at increased risk of, of iron deficiency. Um, and there are many people who eat meat who also have iron deficiency. And in fact, most of the world's population um that have iron deficiency are also meat eaters so i think it's important to just recognize those things it is one of the most prevalent deficiencies globally so it is important to talk about and why is it so important well iron is essential for the development of red blood cells and our immune health um and as i mentioned earlier you know there are certain at risk groups especially uh menstruating women so basically anybody who has periods um will be at risk of um iron deficiency if they are heavy periods um if you're pregnant the vast majority of pregnant women will have a drop in their hemoglobin um which would cause a dilutional um, reduction in their iron storage, which is important to, to address in pregnancy, regardless of diet. Um, and also lactating women. So women who are breastfeeding their babies, they would also be potentially at risk because they're having to, you know, to, to give those nutrients for their baby. 
and yeah teen in the teenage years especially if you're starting your periods so those are the groups that you need to look at specifically and if somebody has started a vegan or a plant-based diet who already has heavy periods or who you know you, you sort of ask them a few basic questions and they haven't necessarily understood some of the basics of of what what they should be eating then it might be worth just doing a um, a quick blood test on those people as well and in a plant-based diet, what are the foods that contain iron and how do you usually counsel your patients to eat in a way that could prevent iron deficiency anemia, especially for those people that might be more susceptible, like people who have periods or pregnant women, um, or maybe those that have suffered from it in the past so that they can prevent it from happening again? Yeah, sure. Well, um, so... The what I would say to people who are going plant based is that they should ideally aim for around 10 percent higher than the recommended amount of iron, uh, just because the recommended nutritional guidelines are based on people who have an omnivorous diet. And when you consume animal products, you're consuming heme iron, which is um, of a higher absorption than non heme iron from plants. And you have to remember that that's not always a good thing and sometimes it's a bad thing so it really is important to recognize that occasionally if you're looking at the amount of heme iron if you're getting too much of it it's a bit like a trojan horse it comes into the body and your body has no way really to um, excrete that uh, you're just absorbing that uh, without having an off switch whereas if you're consuming plant-based irons your body can have a lot more control over how much of it it actually absorbs so that's important to recognize because um, having high iron in the body increases the risk of oxidation and oxidative stress and um, some studies also show that that can increase the risk of certain cancers um, as well. So it's not all about getting as much iron as possible. It's very important to make sure that you can modulate the amount of iron you get. It's like a Goldilocks nutrient, you, you don't want too much and you don't want too little. Um, so I would suggest to aim for around 10% more uh, than than you would if you were eating an omnivorous diet. So um, for women who are having periods, it'll be just under 50 milligrams a day, one five milligrams a day. And for men, it would be 8.7 milligrams a day, just under nine milligrams a day. Um, and so if you're postmenopausal, you, you go back to the, the men's recommended amount because you're not bleeding anymore each month. And um, there are a number of things you can get it from. So I like to I like to tell patients, you know, think of a BLT. So normally BLT stands for bacon, lettuce, tomato sandwich, right? Um, but I like to help people to remember BLT actually stands for beans, lentils and tofu, beans, lentils, tofu beans, lentils, tofu, BLT, because they are um, iron-rich foods. And also you can include chickpeas um, in that uh, as well, um, in the same category as the lentils. So just remember BLT, beans, lentils, and tofu. Seeds, um, so if you're thinking of things like sunflower seeds or sesame seeds as well, they're good iron-rich foods. Nuts, nuts are really important as well, assuming you don't have any kind of allergy to a specific nut. So peanut and almond butter, um, tahini is made from sesame seeds. So that's a great salad dressing, for example. Um, Brazil nuts, hazelnuts. Um, so think of nuts and seeds and the BLT, and you're already, you know, you've already got loads of foods there that are iron rich. But also think about dried fruits as well, something that people don't necessarily think about enough. So uh, things like figs and dates and apricots and other dried fruits are great sources of iron. And fortified foods as well. So fortified cereals, fortified um, breads fortified plant milks actually some in some cases so you could check the packet and see um and also think of things like dark chocolate and dark green leafy vegetables they're also quite good sources of iron especially uh more so uh, cruciferous vegetables um you can't really absorb so much of the iron from spinach because it's bound to oxalate so if you're going for your cruciferous vegetables like broccoli and cauliflower and um sprouts and things like that that's going to be a better source but yeah, th those are my top tips for iron rich foods. And then other tips, which I, I like to tell people are to just make sure that they can maximize the amount of iron that they're actually absorbing. So um, you could have a small glass of orange juice, maybe with your meal. Um, 
so that you're having a, a high source of vitamin D, sorry, vitamin C rather, vitamin C, which is important for iron absorption. And also sprouting things like seeds and beans. If you're into sprouting, that's great because that can increase the bioavailability of the iron in those foods. Steaming green veggies also helps to improve the bioavailability in the gut of iron. Um, and avoiding tea and coffee with your meals because the tannins in those can potentially interfere with the absorption of the iron. And so those are all good tips if you are thinking of maximizing the amount of iron that you are absorbing. Um, and yeah, that's that's a good way to go. Yeah, that all sounds great. Another thing that I've read, I don't know how much you know about this or if there's any evidence to this, but that soaking your beans and your grains can also help with the absorption as well. Do you know about that very much? Yes, it's the same principle, really. Um, if you're sprouting, essentially what you're doing is you're soaking them for a long time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, definitely soaking can help. And then if you want to go that extra step further and make them sprout, then all the better. But soaking is 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 also worth doing and then giving them a rinse as well. Yeah, sometimes if you soak too long, they accidentally sprout, even if you're not intending to sprout them. Exactly. But I always like to soak my beans and grains overnight just for just texture reasons. I started doing it mainly because I like the texture, how they come out when I soak them overnight. But then I read that there's other benefits for improving absorption. And I was like, oh, okay, good. Two reasons then. Okay. So that sounds really great. Basically, we and, and I always talk about, I'm a bean pusher. So I always talk about eating beans and trying to get beans in at least every day, if not multiple times per day. But I think sometimes people forget about tofu and how it's a bean and tofu has all of these other benefits too. We talked about it in the calcium episode, the calcium set tofu also helps with, you know, calcium um, intake as well. So that all sounds fantastic. Well, let's move on to B12 because that's definitely one that is a concern for people that are eating a plant-based diet. Where does B12 come from? And why is it that people that eat an exclusively plant-based diet may have difficulty obtaining sufficient B12? Well, B12 comes predominantly from animal products because it's made from microbes in the soil. And when you are an animal that's grazing, for example, on grass, then you're going to be eating bits of the soil and you're going to be drinking water that may contain those microbes. Hence, your body and your muscles will then contain the vitamin B12 that you have eaten. If you are eating animal products from factory farm, then they will have had their feed supplemented with B12. And that's the reason why you would be getting it from their muscles in that scenario. So basically, if you think about it, most of us in the Western world are, in fact, supplementing B12 through supplements. It's just that we're using the middleman of an animal product through which to eat that supplement, um, which is why it's important if you're on a fully plant-based diet to have B12 in a supplement or in fortified foods. Nowadays, there are a lot more fortified foods than there used to be. Uh, so it is potentially possible to get your B12 requirements solely from fortified foods. I don't tend to recommend it because I feel like it's something that is so crucial. Um, even in, we only need a minuscule amount, but the, if if you're at slightest risk of not having enough, then that can be really difficult because it is a very important nutrient. So I just say, look, why not just take it in a supplement form? You can't overdose on it um, because it's water soluble. And so if you're taking a little bit more than you need, that's okay. And it's far better to take too much than too little in that in that regard. So you know, technically, we only really need about two micrograms a day, which is a really small amount. But, you know, dietary guidelines in the UK, certainly the British Dietetic Association, we suggest 10 micrograms daily or 2000 micrograms weekly, because it sounds odd, because you think, well, surely, if it's only 10 a day, why not 70 a week? But actually, if you're taking it once a week, then your body is actually not able to absorb as much of it. So it's, it's uh, more absorbable if you're doing it once a day in much smaller amounts. But if you just want to do it once a week, you can. You just need a higher dose. Um, but many foods also fortified with B12, especially plant milks uh, nowadays. So it's just worth checking the packet um, or, you know, of your milk, whichever one you're choosing. And if you're making your own plant milk, then you're obviously not going to be getting that B12 supplementation through those sources. But in the UK, certainly there are quite a lot of um, fortified milks. And for children, there are um, fortified soy milks. 
that contain quite a lot of different vitamins, including B12 and iodine, um, growing up milks that are from soybeans. So in the US, I'm sure it's probably very similar. You just have to look at the packets. In the UK, we have um, yeast flakes and yeast extract. Um, so I don't know if you have that in the US, but um, in the UK we do. Um, so we have nutritional yeast or nooch, as it's often called here in the UK. And we have marmite and vegemite, which are yeast based extracts that we spread on our toast. Uh, again, I don't know if that's something that you have in the US, but it's something that's very popular here. And that contains a lot of B12 as well. That is so funny that you bring that up. We, I've never tasted Vegemite, but I need to taste it. One time we were at a hotel and there was a soccer team there. And one of the soccer teams that was there was from Australia. And uh, we had brought with them <laughs> their Vegemite. And we could just hear, pass the Vegemite, pass the Vegemite. We're like, man, that must be good if they had like deliberately brought it with them <laughs> to make sure that they had it. Well, there's, there's actually there's a there's a huge battle between the UK and Australia as to which is the best, and we say marmite here is the best. So it's so a little we, different. Marmite tastes different than Vegemite. Yes, it tastes different. It's much better. <laughs> Love it. Well, I'm gonna have to try both so that I can judge for myself. Yeah, but you try. We have nutritional yeast, and there's most of the nutritional yeast that you can find here is fortified with B12, but some is not. And I also call it nooch. One time I told my husband past the nooch and he had no clue what I was talking about. We'd already been vegan for like seven years. And he's like, what? It's like, babe, the nooch, the nooch, the nutritional yeast. He's like, that's what you call it. And I'm like, yeah, it's what everybody calls it. So anyway, I think that's, that's also a funny story. So yes. for what you recommend there, you're saying 10 micrograms per day or 2000 weekly. Do you recommend that for both children and adults or do you have different cutoffs that you use? Yeah, so that's the adult dose. Um, for children, it varies depending on their age. And I don't have all different numbers in my brain, but they will be really easy to look up. If you have a child of a specific age and you want to find out, you can just type it into Google and it will pop up for you. Um, there are various supplements. I don't I don't recommend one specific supplement you know, brand. Um, but in the UK, if you have any UK listeners, I do like the veg, um, the vegetarian or the vegan society one because it was formulated by dietitians. It's one of the cheapest ones on the market and it's just really accessible for everyone. Um, and it contains B12, it contains iodine, selenium, um, and a little bit, I think it contains vitamin D as well a little bit, but it's just really straightforward you just take one a day or if you've got a child you can cut them in half you take half a day um over the age of two or three i think um but yes um we could go into specifics for children perhaps in another chat um but they would require lower doses and in fact children tend to have higher b12s than adults quite often when i do blood tests uh, i'll see very high b12 levels in my child that my, my child patients and uh, that's actually quite normal for children to have a slightly higher b12 level and in fact many adults over the age of 50 regardless of what they eat, will be vitamin B12 deficient, um, especially if they're diabetic, they're on anti-diabetic medications, if they're on any kind of antacid medications, anything like that, um, then they will also be at higher risk of deficiency. So it's worth anyone over the age of 50, especially with diabetes or digestive issues to take a B12 supplement. Yes, no matter what you eat, because you're absorbing less. And I also like how you brought up earlier, that B12 is something that factory farmed animals have to be given. They have to be supplemented themselves. I know I hear the argument a lot that vegan diets aren't natural because you have to supplement the B12. But in reality, a lot of the meat that people are eating, they have been supplemented with all kinds of vitamins in order to keep them healthy long enough for them to be killed to slaughter. Um, and that happens for a lot of stuff. Vitamin D, which has to be put into cow's milk. It's not something that's naturally there in plentiful amounts. And a lot of people talk about omega-3 eggs. You know, omega-3 is not naturally in, in chicken eggs. It's something that they give to the feed, the the chicken to eat, and then it gets transferred into the egg. So just those things, a lot of people may not know. I think it's important to point out. Okay. So we talked about iron. We talked about B12. What are some other nutrients of concern that we don't hear too much about? We kind of covered iodine here in the United States. We have iodized salt, but for those that don't eat iodized salt, 
they may want to consider taking it in a supplement. But what about things like zinc and you mentioned selenium? What are some other nutrients that we might want to think about? Yeah, well, absolutely. I mean, coming back to the iodine issue quite briefly, it's an interesting one because it's something that is is actually quite commonly um, low here in the UK. And again, it's not something that we routinely test for. Um, and you could in the past have got enough iodine from grains and nuts and fruits and vegetables, but nowadays you just can't be sure that you're going to get it. Um, and dairy and fish do have a lot of iodine in them. Um, but the dairy um, sources of iodine are really because they have either been supplemented or because they've used iodine as part of the way of um, sterilizing the, the milk vats that they use for collection of the milk. So again, it's not something that's necessarily naturally within those foods. Um, seaweed is, is one of the best natural sources of iodine, but the problem that we sometimes have is that certain types of seaweed have too much iodine, and then that can also be disruptive to thyroid health and metabolism. So... I would just advise people to take a supplement for that. Um, or if they are you know, a fan of nori sheets that you use for sushi, then that's quite a good source of iron. You're not going to get, uh, sorry, iodine. You're not going to get too much um, that way. Um, but yeah, uh, plant milks can supplement with it, fortify with it as well. And supplements are quite an easy way of doing it. Zinc is another one. Uh, again, it's kind of, uh, it's, it's an important mineral. Like we can get it from things like you know nuts and seeds um, and Brazil nuts specifically, a really good source. Um, so if you're having a varied whole foods plant-based diet, you will get enough zinc, um, but you just need to make sure that you're having plenty of the nuts and the seeds and the legumes and the fruits and the vegetables. And if you've got a nice variety there, you should be able to get enough zinc. Um, um, did you mention omega? No, what was Selenium. the other thing you said? Selenium. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so selenium is important for um, thyroid function as well. And in fact, it works synergistically with iodine. Um, and yeah, you can get that again from things like nuts and seeds and dried fruits and, um, you know, all of those amazing plant-based foods. You just have to be aware to ensure that you have a varied diet. So if you get stuck in a rut where you're only having one type of food, so say, you you know, you love your bean burritos and you're just having that all the time, uh, you may not be getting enough of certain nutrients. So things like selenium and iodine and zinc, it's important to think, okay, well, am I getting enough of my nuts or am I getting enough of my seeds? Am I getting enough um, of my, uh, my fruits, my vegetables? which types of fruits which types of vegetables making sure i've got all the colors of the rainbow uh, that i'm enjoying and you should be able to um, get plenty of these nutrients yeah and i also think about people that may have significant food allergies so there's some people that may not eat any nuts and very few seeds because they have so many allergies or other kind of digestive issues where they're trying to cut out entire groups but what i generally say if you're eating your fruits your veggies your beans your nuts and your seeds in a, like you said, an abundance and variety. A lot of these little ones that we're talking about is not a concern. But once you start getting more restrictive, you're having other issues that are causing you to restrict, then it may be worth looking at and talking to a professional, like a dietitian, who'd be able to help you determine if you might be at risk for some of these other deficiencies. Now, one of the ones that I got asked recently that a lot of people have been talking about potentially a deficiency occurring is vitamin A. Now, I've never thought about that being a problem, but the argument is that in the plant-based world where you're eating the foods, you have an inactive form, the beta carotene, then you have to convert it. And some people genetically can't convert it as much. And then so you get vitamin A deficiency, but it's not something that I have really experienced or encountered or heard of. So I wanted to know from your experience, is vitamin A deficiency something that you get concerned about for somebody eating a variable and abundant whole food plant-based diet? I guess the short answer to that one is no. Um, you're absolutely right. Beta carotene is the inactive form and it's something that your body then converts to vitamin A. Uh, much like a lot of plant-based nutrients, your body does a little bit of work to get to the, the vitamin that it needs. Uh, but that's that's not a bad thing. Uh, there are some trials to show that people who are taking vitamin A supplements actually ended up having a lot of problems because um, it turned into um, an issue with toxicity in their body and that was affecting their liver. So you know you you can overdose on certain preformed vitamins, and it's not something that I would recommend that anyone routinely do is supplement vitamin A. Um, 
yes, there are there is talk about certain genetic varieties that would have more difficulty in converting beta carotene, but I have never seen a study showing that anyone on plant-based diet had a vitamin A deficiency if they had a varied plant-based diet. I think sometimes we can get really caught up on all of these, these sort of new genomic tests. Um in either the functional medicine world or in biohacking. Uh, and to, to put it simply, that's not something I've ever seen in my practice um, or in people that you know I've certainly studied myself um, or in the literature particularly. Um, I've spoken to dietitians about it. I've spoken to nutritional researchers about it, and they're not worried. And so I'm not worried either. Okay, good. So I can be reassured to not be worried. <laughs> but you're right. Yeah. I think we, it's, you know, it's interesting because what we're getting from animals is what they had to convert themselves, right? So it it gets stored into their organs. And so then there's people that you have to eat like these organ meats and get all this stuff. And, but they had to convert it themselves from what they were eating because a lot of them are herbivores. So they're eating plants and grass. And then, so they have to convert it over to that active form. But we know for sure that vitamin A supplementation can lead to toxicity that can be dangerous because then you get too much in your body and your body has trouble trying to get rid of the excess. Same as how you were talking about the heme iron. So Mm -hmm. it seems like you're thinking about it and you're like, well, it seems like you should just take that. But really it's not because when we're, we're using the other form and we're converting it, we're using it as we need instead of just getting this big bolus that could actually harm our health. So thank you for giving me your thoughts on that one. Well, let's move on to omega-3 deficiency. What are your thoughts on omega-3 DHA EPA supplementation? So generally speaking, it's something that I do advocate, but cautiously. I think at the moment we don't quite have a full plethora of data on it. I suppose just to give you a little bit of background for people who don't know anything about the different kinds of fats, um, fats are important for a lot of processes in our body. They can protect our organs and they help regulate our body temperature and you know they allow for storage of these fat-soluble vitamins, vitamin A we just discussed, um, vitamin D, E, and K. So fats are important and there are certain fats that are essential for us to eat that we cannot make ourselves. And these are the essential fatty acids. Um, so you've got, you know, Predominantly, you've got omega-3s and omega-6s, both of which are important, actually. Um, I don't like to demonize any particular type of fat, um, but the Western diet does mean that we have more omega-6s than omega-3s. And so omega-6s come you know, healthily in certain foods like cashew nuts. Um, and you know, if you're cooking with things like rapeseed oil, it does have a very good ratio of vitamin, uh, sorry, omega three to omega six. Um, but a lot of the junk foods and the fatty foods that we're eating has a much higher ratio of omega sixes. And the problem that we face in our body is the conversion issue because our bodies have to make sure that we get enough um, omega threes, and we can't um, we can't make enough of them within our bodies. Um, if we don't have enough of the omega threes in our diet as a ratio of the omega sixes. So things like flax seeds, chia seeds, hemp seeds, and walnuts are great sources of omega three. But if you're completely overcrowding those with the fats from, from, um, junk foods, for example, then it's going to be quite hard for your body to absorb those healthful fats because your body would in preference absorb the unhealthful fats. Does that make sense? Yes, definitely. And just to clarify for the U.S. listeners, rapeseed oil, I believe here is canola oil. Is that what? Oh, yes. Yes. So it's canola oil here. And that is one that has been found to be a little bit more balanced as far as the omega-3, omega-6 ratios. But then- Especially cold-pressed um, um, canola oil. Yes, sorry. <laughs> it's like things like arugula, but apparently- What do you call it? You, you guys call it rocket? Yeah, it's rocket leaves. I'm learning a little, you know, I have, I have some people I follow on social media. So then I'm like, I have to look it up every once in a while. Like, what are they talking about? You know, that's really. Yeah. When I talk about coriander, people get very confused. It's like, I think that's cilantro. cilantro. (laughs) And I'm Panamanian. So I have to say it the, the Spanish way, cilantro. Cilantro. (laughs) Yeah. When it comes to the omega threes, there's more than one form. So you can keep breaking yeah. it down even further. So we have so the ALA, which is where you're talking about with the walnuts and the flax seeds and the hemp seeds and chia seeds. So those are rich 
in the ALA. And then there's also the DHA and EPA. And of course, these names are way long. I had to like learn how to say these when I was narrating my book and I had to try like 50 times. So I'm only going to say the shortened version, (laughs) DHA, EPA. Um, But some people may not convert as well from the ALA to the DHA, EPA. So can you talk a little bit more about DHA, EPA and doing algal supplements, pros and cons there? Yeah, so you're absolutely right. You do you do need ALA and EPA and DHA to function properly. And our bodies convert ALA to EPA and DHA. But if some people are not as good at doing that, then they could end up with a DHA deficiency. And DHA deficiency is uh, is not great because it can lead to potential issues, especially with things like um, dementia later in life. And it's really important for the de- the, the the developing brain of your baby if you're um, if you're pregnant as well. Um, but having said that, we still don't know all there is to know about high dose um, DHA supplementation. There was a couple of studies recently, which you know were done on pregnant women. They were hopeful that um, that they were they were giving women DHA supplementation with the hope that it would reduce the amount of preterm labors that they were experiencing. But they had to cut the study early because of complications from having DHA supplementation that was too high. Um, the women were found to be actually increased risk of preterm birth, as far as I understand understand it from having a high dose DHA supplementation. So we we don't yet know enough about whether it may be harmful in too high an amount. But I would say the bottom line is if you're pregnant, I would recommend around 500 milligrams daily um, would be recommended, um, but not more. Um, I, I think it's something that you shouldn't feel confident to just have too much of. I think it's important to just stick with the 500 um, milligrams daily um, because we don't yet know um, whether there's going to be other complications in the future from having it. There are some studies to suggest that there may be slightly increased risk of prostate cancer with with um, fish oil supplementation in older men. Um, and we don't know why that is, whether it's something intrinsic to the DHA or whether it's actually something to do with the fact that our oceans are fairly polluted now with heavy metals, dioxins, PCBs, microplastics. And of course, the liver of the fish that you get from your cod liver oil capsules may contain some of those things as well as the um, beneficial DHA, EPA, um, omega-3 fatty acids. So there's still quite a lot to unpick. I would say the bottom line is a lot of dietitians tell us that flax seeds are a pretty good source of ALA, uh, which is one of the the main subtypes of omega-3 for people who have a plant-based diet. And they're a pretty good superfood in other respects. They help reduce your blood pressure um, if you have issues with heart disease, and, and they're generally very healthy for other reasons. So having a tablespoon of ground flax seeds a day whether you're sprinkling it in your breakfast or whether you're mixing it in with a stew, um, it's not um, something that would you know denature with heat. Although ideally you would um, not keep ground flax seeds for more than about three months because then it can oxidize slightly then and you know, you're not going to necessarily get the same benefits. So you either freshly crush it yourself or if you buy it from a shop, you don't keep it for more than about 12 weeks or so. You've got to use it every day. Um, but if you are worried about... Um, you know, if you're pregnant or if you're worried about dementia, then I would certainly recommend that you can take an algal oil supplement, which would be, I would suggest a purer source of, of um, EPA DHA because it's where the fish get it from and it won't have bioaccumulated any of the toxins that the fish unfortunately will be bioaccumulating, um, especially if they are farmed fish. So yeah, um, there's not a definite guidance on that right now. But um, if you want to be cautious, then I would suggest probably 500 um, milligrams daily of algal oil. Perfect. Yes. And that's really the only population where there is a formal recommendation is pregnant women and also lactating women to supplement that DHA. But I agree. I feel like Right now, I'm recommending for my plant-based and even my non-plant-based families because I feel like in general, I'm a pediatrician, you know, so I only see children. In general, most children aren't really obtaining the DHA EPA source on its own, even when they're omnivorous because they're not eating a bunch of seafood anyway. But either way, making sure that you are getting that ground flaxseed or walnut or chia seeds or hemp seeds because they are health promoting. And if you're getting that 
probably most people are probably converting enough, but we just don't know. Are you testing omega threes in your patients at all? No, it's not something that we do in our national health service here. I could get hold of some private blood tests for people if they wanted, and we could do it that way, but it's not something that I would routinely do. Um, I, mean, I did read some studies to say that people who have a plant-based diet are actually better at converting, which mm -hmm. is interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that this is something that, that that does require more research. And obviously, when we when we know for sure uh, what the actual conversion levels are in certain populations of people, then we perhaps feel more confident. Uh, I know there are many people in the world who haven't eaten fish, yes. uh, populations of people who haven't eaten fish for generations, and they don't have DHA deficiency or increased risk of dementia. So it's something that I think is worth you know, looking at in a, in a more broad sense and just uh, sort of using perhaps a bit of common sense until we have a bit more data. Absolutely. Yeah. And definitely we do need more information on that, but that's where we are now. So thank you so much for your thoughts on that. Well, this has been great. I want to know a little bit more about you. So what do you wish more people knew about anything? It could be about nutrition. It could be about any other thing. What do you wish more people knew? I wish more people knew that they have all that they need within them to feel better. Uh, they just they just don't realize it. Um, uh, and that doesn't mean you know that they shouldn't be taking any medications or that they shouldn't be eating in a certain way, but just sort of I think a lot of people really try to outsource not just their health, but other aspects of their well-being, either to other people um, or to celebrities or even to a spouse. You know, I will only be happy if X, Y and Z. Uh, I cannot find happiness within me because of X, Y and Z. I wish more people knew that they are absolutely beautiful inside and out and that they have all that they need within them to start feeling better and to start that journey of, of improvement. I just wish more people knew that. Oh, that's beautiful. I love that so much. And it's true. I I feel like and different personality types may approach this differently, obviously, but I think a lot of us are always searching, searching, searching for something, for that magic something, right? Like the magic pill, the magic cure, the magic something, when we're not necessarily just looking at our diet, our lifestyle right now. What can we do right now? instead of always looking out there for the salvation, mm -hmm. you know, and that's mm -hmm. true. There's, and I think also the internet's just way too big and there's too much out there. So it makes you feel like there's gotta be something I'm missing about something, you know, but <laughs> you're saying yeah. just go within. You probably yeah. have everything you need right here with you already. That's such a beautiful message. Well, what personal habit are you most proud of? How did you develop it and how do you maintain it? Hmm. Wow. I think, um, what am I most proud of? That's something I haven't really reflected on too much, but I would say, um, I'm proud of the fact that I am very grateful for my life. And, um, I think gratitude is really a key foundational aspect of feeling good because, if you are feeling as though things are not where you want them to be, even if they're not always where you want them to be, it can also lead you to a real sense of um, wanting in your life and uh, and a feeling that 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 you're never going to get what you need and what you want. And so for me, um, just that daily waking up and saying thank you for what I have and for who I have become and for the challenges that I face. Uh, it really helps me to remember um, all my blessings. And that's something that I, I am proud of because that's something that sometimes it can be quite challenging to do. You know, we live in a culture where we're sold, 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 and everybody has to buy, buy, buy. And, you know, you know you're, you're, you're told that you're not good enough. You're told that you don't have what it takes um, to, to be happy. Um, and actually, you know, there are so many blessings in our lives, each and every one of us, that it is quite hard sometimes to see the wood for the trees. So I'm proud that that's something that I, I always really strive to remember. Um, I suppose, practically speaking, you know, I'm proud to be somebody who is plant based. That's something that, you know, that took a, a transition for me. That took me a little while to get to. Uh, but it's something that I feel pleased uh, that, that I am um that i that i practice that way of life um yeah 
that's that's my two main things I would say that are consistent. I do have a meditation practice, but I can't honestly say that it's consistent that I do it every single day. Um, so yeah, the gratitude piece is is definitely the main thing that I'm really um, very very happy with, and that I like to continue. Yes, and that actually comes up quite a bit when I ask guests, and I really do believe that this gratitude practice is something that's present in all of the happiest people, all of the people that are feeling peace and they're just feeling stable and, you know, happy and joy in their life. That gratitude is such an important piece and it's free, right? Like we don't have exactly. to buy it. It doesn't cost you anything. <laughs> yeah. And so it's always a good reminder when we're just getting, you know, just sucked into life and just overwhelmed and this problem and this problem and this problem, there's always something that we can be grateful for. And when we start practicing those little episodes of reflecting on our gratitude, we're going to be able to harvest, we're going to be able to sustain our own joy. So thank you so much for reminding us about that. Oh, and thank you for summarizing it so lovely. <laughs> it's really nice the way you said that. <laughs> Gemma, you are such a treat so brilliant and it's been so lovely talking to you. I know that my listeners want to get in touch with you right away. So how can <laughs> listeners connect with you? Well, uh, they can come and say hi on Instagram. So I am plant power doctor on Instagram. They can come to my website. I've got a lot of information on my website. So if you are curious about plant-based uh, eating and you want to know more about how it fits in with things like heart disease or diabetes or pregnancy or raising kids, I've got a lot of information on there. So head over to GemmaNewman.com. Uh, you can also get to the same website at plantpowerdoctor.com. Um, and you've got all my other contact details on there. I have a book coming out uh, later on in the year or in January, I think. So do sign up to my emails for updates, which you can get to from my website. And I will tell you all about that. And uh, yeah, it'd be lovely if you wanted to um, enjoy the book too. Do you have a title yet for your book? I do, but I haven't officially been told by my publisher that okay. I'm allowed to talk okay. about it. So you've I got the scoop. I won't force <laughs> you then, but super exciting. Can't wait. I know that's going to be fabulous. And just for the listeners out there, Gemma's website is top notch. It is professional. It's beautiful. And she's got a bazillion resources on there. I haven't had time to explore all the things, all the offerings you have. So if you're looking for information, on whatever topic, just go there and see if you can find it. So GemmaNewman.com or PlantPowerDoctor.com, Instagram, PlantPowerDoctor. And sign up for her email list because we want to read that book as soon as it comes out. <laughs> Thank so you. leave us with one call to action. What is one thing that we can do starting now to improve our health? Oh, my gosh. Well, now now you've made, made me think of two things because... The first thing was going to, it's always gratitude and love. So start your day with gratitude and love, number one. But um, I think sort of taking an overview of our whole conversation, I think just trying to have um, one tablespoon of flaxseed a day, just try and do that because that would be a great start. Uh, that will give you all the omega-3s and that will give you a lot of great heart healthy benefits. And it'll just get you thinking a little bit more about how to incorporate these things into your life. And it's quite an easy win. You don't have to do too much thinking. You can bake with it um, because you can make it into a flax egg or you could just have it, as I say, on your breakfast, in a stew, in a curry, anything you want and it's done. So if you could just remember to do that one thing and do it with gratitude and love, then you're all good. And you can wrap it up all into one package. So whenever you're grinding your flaxseed or you're putting your flaxseed, I like to put it in my oatmeal. It's really yummy in oatmeal. Then reflect on what you're grateful for and who you love and who you want to send love out into the world. Yes. Fantastic. That's what, in fact, that's what I'm going to do tomorrow. <laughs> Yay. Okay. We're going we're gonna to do it, everybody. Ground flaxseed with gratitude and love. We can do it. <laughs> Dr. Gemma Newman, this has been so fantastic. Thank you so much for giving me an hour of your life. I appreciate it. It's very generous of you. And I hope that you have a very plantastic day. Oh, thank you so much. And you, Yami, it's been fantastic. Hey, veggie lover, I hope that you loved today's episode. Will you take a second and do me a huge favor? 
please subscribe to my podcast so that you never miss an episode. You're the reason I'm here and I want to share it all with you. Thank you for listening and have a plantastic day.